find yourself as a pastor taking care of so many administrative things that you can't give yourself to the teaching and the preaching of God's Word, then perhaps it's time for something to change. And if you, as a church member, see that your pastor is giving his time to those things, perhaps you should take some of those responsibilities so that he can give himself to the ministry of the Word, because I promise you, he doesn't want to have to do all of those things. Thank you for joining us for this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the job of the pastor and how it pertains to discipleship. Hello, and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the job of the pastor. And uh, I know we've had some people reach out to us and ask questions about the the pastorship, and so we wanted to talk about that um, today and how that applies directly to discipleship. And as usual, I am joined by Pastor Brian Stewart. Good morning. And uh, we're looking forward to getting into the study. Looking forward to this study as well, and... uh enjoy uh, getting to talk about the calling that God's put in our lives. Yeah, so if you are not necessarily called into the ministry or to be a pastor, or perhaps you're a preacher but not a pastor, this still is applicable, and it's always good to know what the Scripture says about different things. And um, in fact, Paul talks about how impressed he was that a certain church was um, digging in and checking up on what he said and making sure it was in the Scripture. And so um, that's always a good thing, and uh, so the more that you know about the different positions, the better that you can apply yourself and be a help to your pastor um, because you know what his job is. And so um, if you are not called into the ministry or you're not a pastor, this should still be very helpful, I believe, to you. Um, I am currently not a pastor. At home someday I plan to be, but... Um, so it's still something that I want to look into that I can that I can know about so that I can do the best job that I can do to be a help um, to my pastor. And so we're going to be talking about the job of the pastor today and how that applies to discipleship. Um, where I want to start out um, is a fairly common passage used um, in Titus. In Titus chapter number one, we find the qualifications for the bishop. And uh, in today's modern lingo, we tend to use the word pastor. Some use the word bishop. Um, some use the word elder. I think if you're um, dividing scripture properly, we're talking about essentially the same office here. Um, but we're going to use the word pastor because that's a commonly accepted term for it, mainly probably because of the historical um, downside to the word bishop, but um, having to do with the Catholic Church and things. But anyway, <clears throat> we're going to get into it. And uh, if you if you look at Titus chapter number one, we find the qualifications of the bishop. And then towards the end, um, it talks about in verse number eight that he's a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. And then in verse number nine, it talks about what it is that he's supposed to do. So in verse number nine, it says, "Holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been ta- as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers." Um, so the According to Titus chapter 1, he gives all of these qualifications, and really you could continue reading. It talks about a lot of things um, throughout the end of chapter 1 of Titus. Um, But what he's really getting at here is that here's the qualifications of the man who's to do the job, and then here's the job. And the job is this, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, the main thing in that passage is not the gainsayers. 
um, or the people who are listening, the main idea that Paul is trying to get across to Timothy there is the thing that he mentions twice in two different ways. The first, he says the faithful word. And then the second, he says sound doctrine, both of which are references to the scripture. And so he's really getting, trying to get across the point to Titus that, hey, all of these qualifications are important and they're things that have to be true in the life of a person who's going to pastor the church or be a bishop. Um, but if he's not going to hold fast the faithful word, then he's not doing his job. If he's not going to teach sound doctrine, then he's not doing his job. And so the first thing that we're talking about here is is the obvious that the pastor is to be sound doctrinally. He's supposed to hold fast the faithful word, and he's also supposed to take that and then teach that to other people, which is really the emphasis of the whole podcast. Yes, and the biggest example we have is, first of all, Christ's ministry, as we've looked at already. We also have Paul's ministry, and Paul is the one Mm -hmm. that God is using in uh, Titus here to write to uh, this young pastor and help him to understand what roles and what he's supposed to do and how he's supposed to do it. We also have Paul writing to the Corinthian people in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, really in verses 1 through 6, and then the last two verses, we could kind of concentrate a study on verse 6, he says, who hath made us able ministers, and so he was talking about being able in Titus, he uses that same terminology here in 2 Corinthians. And we see a few things about what able ministers are. These are people who are capable ministers of the New Testament. And the first thing we see is in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He asks some questions. He asks them, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles or letters of commendation to you? or letters of commendation from you. Now he's asking them because he's already been there. He's the one that came and led these people to the Lord and started this church initially. And now they're questioning his authority. And he says in verse two, are ye, ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And so we see that uh, an able minister has a letter of proof of their ministry, but notice where it is in verse three. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. What we see here is that God, through the apostle Paul, is clearly communicating to us what is the job of the of the pastor? What is the job of the uh, the bishop at each location? It's to make sure that each person has the writing of the Holy Spirit on them. The only way we can see that done is what through the Word of God. And so you and I, as ministers, need to do what our job, our responsibility, is to see to it that. Anything that is done is not done on paper and ink. It has not to do with us making a legacy for ourselves here. But our epistles, the the letters Mm -hmm. of commendation, are the people that we can point to that their lives have been changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the the Great Commission. And so he's saying, my letter is a, it's not written in ink and pen and in stone. It's written down where? 
it is written down in the fleshly tables of the heart, and you are those letters of commendation. Um, mm-hmm. We see that uh, there's going to be a trust. Uh, an able minister is going to have his confidence and trust through Jesus Christ to God. It's not going to be a trust in my training. It's not going to be a trust in my abilities to manage an organization or to put together an organization. So we're talking about the role and job of a pastor has very little to do with building an organization, but has everything to do with building people in the scriptures. And again, we go back to verse 3, that it's Mm -hmm. done with the Spirit of the living God. In other words, it is done with connection to the Spirit of the living God and the Word of God. And anything that we're doing that isn't going to accomplish that is not our primary responsibility. We also see in verse 6 that it's God who chooses the minister, uh, the pastor. Uh, notice he says in verse 6, who, hath, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. And so it is God, because in the verse before, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but the sufficiency is of God. And so our sufficiency comes from him, mm-hmm. our calling comes from him, and we are made able ministers by him, not by ourselves. And then notice it's a minister to a very specific thing. Notice we are able ministers of the New Testament. We're not just ministers in general. We're not ministers uh, of anything and everything, mm-hmm. but we have to be ministers of the New Testament. And that is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the Great Commission, and all that is really right. the, the major primary focus of the church. It's the pastor who is responsible to train up the people so they can stay on task with the Great Commission. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to talk about that that New Testament he's talking of there is not is not necessarily talking about the what we consider the compilation of the scriptures that we call the New Testament. That's not what he's talking about. That word testament is talking about the covenant, right? That new covenant that God made with with the God the Father made with Christ, that he would give to him all those that called on him and believed yes. on him. Um, that's the that's the covenant not between God and Abraham, but the covenant between God the Father and God the Son, right? So, because Paul's obviously writing a part of what we call the New Testament now. Correct. And when he's writing this, so that's what he's referring to when he says he's made us able ministers of the New Testament. He's saying able ministers of uh, we're, we're teaching that contract between God the Father and God the Son, so that people can receive the gospel. Correct. Um, it's also that same New Testament is talked about, and he's the mediator of it in Hebrews chapter nine. Um, there, mm-hmm. verse eleven and following, um, he talks about this. Old Testament and then the New Testament. And so when he's, yes, when he's referring to this New Testament, that's what he's referring to is is the fact that uh, he's not talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Testament that comes, and with that Testament comes the gospel of Jesus Christ, comes the church age, mm-hmm. and all of the things that we've been talking about in the podcast up to this point. Right. So, and then we see not only... Uh, is an able minister of the New Testament. And so that's what we have. That's really all we have to minister to people. But that's an awful lot when you get into the doctrine and the teaching of all of that. But then we have to be led of the Spirit of God. And uh, 
it's the spirit that is going to bring life. And we notice that in verse uh, 17, 2 Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then we see this wonderful freedom that comes when we simply do what God's called us to do. And then the really mm-hmm. cool thing is the last verse, verse 18, we see what this leads to. And I think if we're honest, that as pastors, we all want to see everybody, the lost and believers, changed into what God wants them at, and that is into the image of Jesus Christ. But notice how this happens when we are able ministers and we do what we've been called to do, how we've been called to do it. Look what he says in verse 18, but we all, this isn't just the pastor now, this is all of the believers there at Corinth. This is including Paul and those that he was writing with. With open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image, the Lord's image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This change happens by the Holy Spirit of God. Again, we can't do we can't do his part, but we can do our part and mm-hmm. and consistently right. put people in remembrance of what he has taught them to do and what he has taught us to do. And we see that in First Timothy. He reminds Timothy in chapter 4, verse 6, you know, you're going to be a good minister if you do what? If you put people in remembrance of the things that you've been taught and the things that they've been taught. Yeah, and if we... What we've essentially been saying thus far is that from the scripture, what we're finding is that the job of the pastor is to minister the word of God and to make sure that those that are in that church are receiving the instruction in the word of God. Um, We don't have time because there's a hundred passages on shepherding. Um, We don't have time to go into all of that right now. But um, that idea, I think our audience probably has a general idea of what that's talking about. The pastor is an under shepherd under the great shepherd who is Jesus Christ. And so the pastor is the under shepherd. What's his job? His job is to shepherd the sheep, right? To bring them along, to give them the instruction that they need and to take the oversight of them. Um, And uh, Paul writes saying, taking the oversight thereof, right? So, um, the pastor's job is to be responsible for the teaching of what of God's word, um, because that's what his so far everything we've looked at has said that that's what the pastor's job is the ministry of the word. So that oversight is taking the oversight of them in the teaching of his word, and the best way that we know how to do that, and the way that the teach the the scripture teaches to do that is the process of discipleship. And we've spent uh, I don't know twenty two weeks now talking about discipleship, right? So. Um, that, that is the avenue by which the pastor has the opportunity to reach into the hearts and minds and lives of all of his congregants, um, all of the people in the church and allow them then to receive the word of God through that process. Now, how that works for every church is a little bit different. Um, you know, we, we have a way that, that we, are doing that where we're keeping track of what's being taught and who's being taught it in the discipleship kind of format. Um, but obviously he teaches Timothy, he says in Timothy chapter two, verse two, um, that he was, Timothy was to instruct faithful men who were then able to teach others also. Right. So, uh, Timothy is taking the oversight of those faithful men 
and then those faithful men are teaching others, and Timothy then knows what the others are being taught because he taught the faithful men, and I'm sure he's staying in contact with those faithful men as well. Um, So it's going down. But just to keep an emphasis on what the job of the pastor is, we, especially in the American church and really in the church in the first world in general, and probably across the world, um, we have an idea that the pastor's job is a lot more extensive than preaching and teaching God's word, that he is responsible for taking care of the elderly and the widows, going and visiting sick people in the hospital and all that kind of thing. Not saying that he shouldn't do those things, but that actually isn't what we find in scripture. We find almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. In Acts chapter number six, when we talk about the deacons, um, in verses, in verses uh, well, I'll just start with in verse number one. It says, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Uh, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, So the twelve, that being the apostles, right? Those are the ones who were leading the church at the time. And it says, and they said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Why? Because their job as the, as the pastors of those churches was to minister the word of God, right? And then in verse 3, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. And it talks about the, the commissioning of the deacons. The purpose of them doing all of that is found in verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the, the job of the pastor is the ministry of the word. That's the teaching and preaching. That's the discipleship process. That is the occupation of the pastor. He's overseeing the discipleship process. Now, we've, we've been talking on this podcast for weeks about how every believer ought to be involved in discipleship, being discipled or discipling others or both at the same time. That ought to be happening. Now, the pastor... His job is the ministry of the word. So should he be discipling? Yes. Um, But he's not the only one discipling. He is also an overseer. So he's overseeing the discipleship process that is going on in the church. He has to give himself continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If the other things that are involved in the church are taking the pastor away from giving himself to prayer and the ministry of the word then those other things probably ought to be taken up by somebody else. And so that's why at the beginning of the podcast I said, if you're not a pastor, I think this can still be a help to you. What is your job as a member of a church? Your job, my pastor says all the time, your job is either to be the pastor or to help the pastor pastor the church. Okay, so if you're not the pastor, then your job is to take care of things so that the pastor can pastor. If the people aren't being taken care of, you ought to be doing something to help ease that burden. Now, there are people who are called deacons who specifically are tasked with that job of taking care of others, but we all can have a responsibility in that and taking care of others. And we also ought to be teaching the word and giving that information to the pastor. Hey, pastor, I just talked to so-and-so. We started discipleship. Here's where we're at. Here's what that person's learned. All of that is going to help the pastor be able to pastor his flock. And we see as well in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, we see that uh, Paul continues to give instruction here. And, the f- and really, I think this is a good place for us to look right now because he tells Timothy that he's not to let anybody despise his youth. And then he tells us what the, one of the primary roles of the pastor is. But be thou an example of the believer. How? In word, 
in conversation, your lifestyle, in your love and charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And then he goes on and he says, this is what I want you to give your time and attendance to. So I think this is really practical for us as we kind of summarize what, what we've been talking about today. And that is, he is to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. He's not to neglect the gift that was given to him. He is to, verse 15, meditate on these things, on what he reads, on what he is exhorting people to, and to the doctrine that he has. This would be uh, understood that these things are talking about reading, exhorting, and doctrine from God's word. And so we're to meditate on those things. And then he says, that take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine and to continue in them in verse 16. And then he says this, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, is this talking about salvation as in life and death and eternal uh, life and eternal death? No, this saving is what? This is a saving us from ourselves, from our flesh, um, and from those things that our flesh would want to do, and so that we can Which is what sound doctrine does. Absolutely, and it keeps us on track. And so notice, the pastor is to be reading God's Word, exhorting with God's Word, and teaching God's Word. He's to meditate on these things, and then he is to take heed to himself first, so he's to apply it to his own life first, and then unto the teaching that he gives out, and then he is told to continue in them, and by doing that, he is going to be the effective minister that God has called him to be. And so Paul says, hey, I want you to be an example of these things. I want you to be an example in maturity, and so it's accomplishing the Great Commission, the pastor's specific role as you've outlined it in just a few moments ago, is to oversee, to make sure that every believer is being taught the doctrine that they need, the exhortation, and that is giving the opportunity to read and understand the Word of God so they can be ministers of the Word of God as well. And so we can, what we're to do is to really, uh, to use the military example, and Timothy uh, talks about us being a good soldier there in 2 Timothy uh, 2, verse 3, I think, and 4, he talks about us being a good soldier and pleasing the one who called us to be soldiers. Uh, Pastor, really, if you want to look at the role in a military format, for those of you that have that background, it's really a senior NCO. Uh, Somebody that's an E6, E7, E8, 9, somebody in that role, they they have no command authority. They, They don't come up with any commands on their own. They simply are there to ensure that the, all the rest of the enlisted men and women are going to fulfill and the intent of the commander and the orders of the commander and the mission of the commander is accomplished the way the commander wants it done. And so they are to ensure that the training is happening. They are to ensure that the equipment is there. They are to ensure to make sure all of the things are in place and uh, that the people are given the instruction that they need so that they can accomplish the mission that the officers have given and passed down to the rank and file 
of the of the military. And so, as a pastor, we don't give we don't come up with any commands. They're not our commands. We don't have any command authority, but we are the representative of the commander and chief. And as his messenger, we are to ensure that his will and his way is done. That's why the qualification of not being self-willed is so important and among all the other qualifications is what so that we can make sure that we are mature enough to not only hear his command understand it and then implement it as he leads us and directs us to do so yeah i think that's an excellent place to talk about um in titus chapter two because you're talking about that 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 position in the military is, is is not a command position, but rather you take the commands that are given to you and you make sure that those that are under you understand and follow those commands. And then in, cha- in Titus chapter two, Paul writes to, to Titus and he's again, he's still talking about what he should be doing as a pastor. And in verse one, he says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Why? That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becoming holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, and to love their husbands, and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, uh, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part, or uh, your contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. So what happens when the pastor is doing his job in teaching sound doctrine? And obviously that means that he himself has to be given to sound doctrine. He has to be given to reading and study. He has to be given over um, and taking the time to make sure that he gives himself to prayer in the ministry of the word, uh, like we looked at in Acts. And because he's taking the time to do that, the older men, are, are becoming more doctrinal themselves. The older men are getting their own hearts, their own minds, their own lives right. And then they're teaching the younger men and the older women are teaching the younger women. And the whole church is benefited by the fact that the pastor took the time to give himself to the ministry of the word, which is his primary responsibility. Um, so yeah, does he go visit hospitals? Sure, of course. Um, is that a job that only the pastor can do? Absolutely not. And maybe somebody else ought to take some of that responsibility so that the pastor can give himself over to the ministry of the word. Obviously, we're going to start with the deacons to do some of those things. But, you know, guys that are just the the members of the church um, ought to be doing some of those things as well, um, because we're, ought, we're supposed to be loving one another and giving ourselves to each other, preferring one another, right? Um, so the pastor then, if you want to help your pastor... Do some of the things that he has to do that aren't the ministry of the word and give him the time to give himself to the ministry of the word. That is the best thing you can do um, because that is the pastor's primary responsibility. And when he does that well, everything else that he does um, will be so much more effective because it's scriptural, because that's what God intended for the pastor to do. Um, And again, on that note, if you back up a chapter in Titus chapter 1, Earlier, we looked at the qualifications of the pastor, but just before we find the qualifications of the pastor, Paul writes this, this very intimate bit to to Titus. It says to Titus in verse four, mine own son, after the common faith, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, that Paul wrote like that all the time, but especially to specific people that he cared about. And then in verse 5, he says this, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. How does Titus do that? By preaching the word, right? We don't correct things by our own muscle. We correct things by teaching God's word. So setting mm-hmm. in order the things that are wanting, he's doing that by teaching and ministering the word. And then he says this, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And that, that phrase, as I had appointed thee, is key here. So Paul is equating elders in this in this passage. He's saying, these elders that you're ordaining, you're setting up pastors in different cities. That's what they are, because Titus wasn't appointed an elder, per se. He was appointed as the pastor of this area, this church, right? So he's ordaining pastors, essentially, in every city is what he's doing, because he says, as I had appointed thee. Now, can Titus just appoint anybody to that role? No. That's why Paul then continues and gives him the qualifications of a pastor. But what is Titus instructed to do here? He's setting things in order. He's teaching the ministry of the word. But then he's ordaining these men to lead in these other churches in all of these other cities. Titus is teaching and training people for the ministry. So, pastor, what's your job? Your job is to give yourself to the ministry of the word. Your job is to teach and to train and disciple individuals in God's word. Now, what happens when one of those individuals believes that the Lord wants them to to be a pastor or a preacher. Whose job is it to train that individual? And according to this passage, it's yours. That person, and now how you do that, I'm not going to tell you how to do that. But it is your responsibility to make sure that that person is taught and trained and then ultimately ordained out of your church because that person is in your church. So that's part of the responsibility of the pastor. So, If you're so busy doing weddings and hospital visits and all of these other things that often are are put upon a pastor's shoulders that the pastor doesn't even want to have to do, but there's nobody else to do it, that you're too busy doing that kind of stuff that you can't teach and train and disciple people, especially those that the Lord calls into the ministry, perhaps it's time to teach and train somebody to do some of those things. So that you can get your heart and your mind back into the ministry of God's word, because that's what's important. So as we've noticed, discipleship is really at the core of this, because that's what Jesus did. He discipled men. He poured his life into 12 men, and then others as well, but primarily 12 men. And uh, when he left the scene and was ascended to heaven, those, those men who had been taught and trained and discipled, who learned to follow him, were able to then transform the world. And you and I are believers today as a result of their ministry and their willingness to teach others and train others so that others could train the next generation of faithful men and women. And so we don't want to let this fall. We don't want to let this end. We want to continue to be faithful. And that's what God requires in a steward. And since pastors are his stewards over his church, and, and his heritage, we need to be faithful to what he's called us to do and not really focus on all the organizational things that many times get our attention. Uh, if we're having meetings and we're having uh, 
committee meetings and, and all of that on, an, on a very regular and full basis, uh, we need to sit back and evaluate, are we spending enough time in God's Word? Are we teaching God's Word to His people in an effective way that it's actually allowing them to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the standard and has been the standard since the beginning of time. Right. I also think if we could take the time to appoint men like they did in Acts chapter 6 called deacons and teach those men to be deacons, that would help out the office of the pastor immensely. The whole purpose of the deacons was not so that you'd have somebody to pass the offering plates, you know. Typically in most churches, the deacons and the ushers are the same people, right? Um, That's not the purpose of the deacon. The purpose of the deacon is to take care of the administrative side of things of the church to make sure that those who aren't being taken care of are now being taken care of, to take care of, um, you know, making sure that the light bulbs are changed and all that kind of stuff. The administrative type stuff is the job of the deacon. And if, if if you have a deacon that isn't doing that, he shouldn't be a deacon. Um, we, we need to find, make sure we're doing things biblically. And if we do things God's way, it's getting done right. Right. And so the purpose of the deacon is to take care of those administrative things. And if you find yourself as a pastor taking care of so many administrative things that you can't give yourself to the teaching and the preaching of God's word, then perhaps it's time for something to change. And if you as a church member see that your pastor is giving his time to those things, Perhaps you should take some of those responsibilities so that he can give himself to the ministry of the word. Because I promise you, he doesn't want to have to do all of those things. Um, and may, perhaps he has a great, I hope he has a great spirit about doing it. Um, but those are not the things that he, want, he wants and desires to do as a good pastor. He wants and desires to give himself to the ministry of the word because he knows that that's going to be the most effective thing and the best thing for the church. Perhaps he needs you to come and help him to get some of those things done. So I want to encourage you this way. Pastors, I want to encourage you, give yourself to the ministry of the word. Teach and train other people to take care of some of those other responsibilities. Because ultimately, the best thing you can do for your church is to teach and to train people in the word of God. That's the absolute best thing you can do for your church because that is the way that they are going to bear fruit, right? They're not going to bear fruit by hospital visits. They're not going to bear fruit um, in other ways. What they're going to do is they're going to bear fruit through the ministry of the word, and they're going to get that. Um, If you are doing your job properly, they'll be able to do theirs. So give yourself to the ministry of the word in every way possible. And church member, give yourself to doing those other things. And ministry of the word, but give yourself to doing those other things so that the pastor can have time to give himself to the ministry of the word. Did you have anything else, Pastor? Well, I would like to point out in, in Acts, what we see is a really interesting thing. And that is the disciples that Christ trained when they were first ministering there to that early church, they ministered to everybody so that everybody would be equipped to be ministers. And right. what we see is that when Saul starts to persecute the church, The church then is scattered abroad, and what were they doing? Every one of them went out preaching the Word of God, the gospel of the New Testament. And so I wonder if, if as pastors or if you're a church member, if we were to get persecuted today and our churches needed to be scattered out, and that we wouldn't be able to meet, we wouldn't be able to have services like we normally do. Sounds familiar. Would all of the members be equipped to the point that they would be and would they be willing to everywhere they go preaching the word of God. Mm. 
that's a sobering thought, but that's what we see in the early church. And I think if we could see that accomplished again, that we could see some of the power of the early church as well in our churches today. Absolutely. And so it's it's absolutely necessary for us to f- get back to what does God tell us to do, not what have we come up with 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 a wonderful idea of how to do this job. Because if you read books on how to shepherd the, the flock or how to shepherd the church, you're going to come up with a lot of man's ideas and a lot of man's thoughts, and it's going to have a lot of information on how to run an organization. But when we read the Word of God, it's give yourself to reading, exhortation, to doctrine, preaching the Word, edifying the builder, and building up the believer in the Word of God. It is all concentrated on making sure that every believer is matured and is equipped with the word of God so that what so that they can do the work of the ministry as well and if we'll keep our focus there i think we'll see much more power in the churches that God has called us to and we'll get to see his spirit and his word uh, work in the lives of people and see effective change uh, that will bring glory and honor to our savior right and i think that's evidenced in acts 6 too it talks about how there was a multitude of people, right? The disciples were multiplied, and then the 12 could no longer handle all of those people. So they said, okay, well, let's find this group of men who can help us to handle all of these people. Where did those men come from? Were they just spontaneously, you know, popped out of nowhere? Of course not. They were discipled. By who? By the disciples, right? They were brought along in the scripture, taught, and it says that they were men who were of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, right? So those guys were were solid men. They probably had the capability of pastoring their own churches, you know? Um, they were men who could preach, as, as, as evidenced by Stephen. And so you've got men like this in the church. Those men don't spontaneously appear. They don't appear on their own. They were taught and they were trained and they were discipled and brought along by those 12 apostles. So um, <clears throat> it is it is vitally important. And like you said, it's, 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 it's humbling, really, to stop and think about. But we live right now, um, at the time of this recording, we just got through 2020. We are still dealing with COVID and we're trying to figure out all of that stuff and the restrictions in certain places in here in the United States where churches weren't even allowed to meet. They weren't allowed to do anything. Um, and frankly, we're persecuted on a much smaller scale than what we find in scripture, but persecuted nonetheless. And what happens when that happens on a larger scale here in the States or elsewhere throughout the world? What happens when you can't talk to your entire congregation three times a week. Does your congregation survive at all? And if you haven't been given to the ministry of the words, to the teaching and the training of other individuals, it won't. Those individuals have to be grounded and rooted in the word of God so that, like you said, when they're scattered, when they're all over the city because they can't meet in one place, the ministry of the word can continue and the spread of the gospel can continue because people have been taught and trained the way that they are supposed to be taught and trained. So I, I think it's very interesting if we take a look at that first century church and compare it to our modern 21st century church and see the stark contrast. 
So, but I think that'll be enough for today, and uh, we'll get off everybody's back and our own back. Um, but we appreciate you listening uh, to this episode of General Order Four. If you have any questions, please reach out to us. I'll give you the email and the Twitter things in the in the sting at the end. Um, but we would love to talk to you if you have any questions or, or comments, or if this has been a help to you in some way. Please let us know. Um, but thanks again so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. God bless you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On next week's episode, we're going to continue our discussion about discipleship. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at General Order the number 4. Please like, share, and subscribe.